This is Chapter Six of Tom Sawyer Abroad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tom Sawyer Abroad, Chapter Six. It's a caravan. I was so weak that the only thing I wanted was a chance to lay down. So I made straight for my locker bunk and stretched myself out there. But a body couldn't get back his strength in no such oven as that. So Tom gave the command to soar, and Jim started her aloft. We had to go up a mile before we struck comfortable weather, where it was breezy and pleasant and just right. And pretty soon I was all straight again. Tom had been setting quiet and thinking, but now he jumps up and says, "I bet you a thousand to one I know where we are. We're in the Great Sahara, as sure as guns." He was so excited he couldn't hold still, but I wasn't. I says, "Well then, where's the Great Sahara?" In England or in Scotland? Tain't in either. It's in Africa. Jim's eyes bugged out, and he begun to stare down with no end of interest because that was where his originals come from. But I didn't more than half believe it. I couldn't, you know. It seemed too awful far away for us to have traveled. But Tom was full of his discovery, as he called it, and said the lions and the sand meant the great desert. Sure. He said he could have found out before we sighted land that we was crowding the land somewheres if he hadn't thought of one thing. And when we asked him what, he said, "These clocks, they're chronometers. You always read about them sea voyages. One of them is keeping Greenwich time, and the other is keeping St. Louis time, like my watch. When we left St. Louis, it was four in the afternoon by my watch and this clock." And it was ten at night by this Greenwich clock. Well, at this time of the year, the sun sets at about seven o'clock. Now I noticed the time yesterday evening when the sun went down, and it was half past five o'clock by the Greenwich clock, and half past eleven a.m. by my watch and the other clock. You see, the sun rose and set by my watch in St. Louis, and the Greenwich clock was six hours fast. But we've come so far east that it comes within less than half an hour of setting by the Greenwich clock now, and I'm away out, more than four hours and a half out. You see, that meant that we was closing up on the longitude of Ireland, and would strike it before long if we was pinted right, which we wasn't. No, sir, we've been a wandering, wandering way down south of east, and it's my opinion we are in Africa. Look at this map. You see how the shoulder of Africa sticks out to the west? Think how fast we've traveled. If we had gone straight east, we would be long past England by this time. You watch for noon, all of you, and we'll stand up. And when we can't cast a shadow, we'll find that this Greenwich clock is coming mighty close to marking twelve. Yes, sir. I think we're in Africa, and it's just bully. Jim was gazing down with a glass. He shook his head and says, "Mars Tom." I reckon days of mistakes, Summers. Ain't seen no niggers yet. That's nothing. They don't live in the desert. What is that way off yonder? Give me a glass. He took a long look and said it was like a black string stretched across the sand, but he couldn't guess what it was. Well, I says, I reckon maybe you've got a chance now to find out whereabouts this balloon is, because as like as not that is one of these lines here that's on the map. That you call meridians of longitude, and we can drop down and look at its number. And oh, shucks, Huck Finn, I never see such a lunkhead as you. 
Do you suppose there's meridians of longitude on the earth? Tom Sawyer, they're set down on the map, and you know it perfectly well, and here they are, and you can see for yourself. Of course they're on the map, but that's nothing. There ain't any on the ground. Tom, do you know that to be so? Certainly I do. Well, then, that map's a liar again. I never see such a liar as that map. He fired up at that, and I was ready for him, and Jim was warming his opinion, too, and next minute we'd have broke loose on another argument if Tom hadn't dropped the glass and begun to clap his hands like a maniac and sing out, Camels! Camels! So I grabbed glass and Jim, too, and took a look, but I was disappointed and says, Camels, your granny, they're spiders. Spiders in a desert, you shad. Spiders walking in a procession. You don't ever reflect, Huck Finn, and I reckon you really haven't got anything to reflect with. Don't you know we're as much as a mile up in the air and that that string of crawlers is two or three miles away? Spiders good land. Spiders as big as a cow. Perhaps you'd like to go down and milk one of them. But they're camels just the same. It's a caravan. That's what it is. It's a mile long. Well, then, let's go down and look at it. I don't believe in it, and ain't going to, till I see it and know it. All right, he says, and give the command. Lower away. As we come slanting down into the hot weather, we could see that it was camels, sure enough, plodding along, an everlasting string of them, with bales strapped to them, and several hundred men in long white robes, and a thing like a shawl bound over their heads and hanging down with tassels and fringes, and some of the men had long guns, and some hadn't, and some was riding, and some was walking, and the weather, well, it was just roasting, and how slow they did creep along. We swooped down now, all of a sudden, and stopped about a hundred yards over their heads. The men all set up a yell, and some of them fell flat on their stomachs. Some begun to fire their guns at us, and the rest broke and scampered every which way, and so did the camels. We see that we was making trouble, so we went up again about a mile to the cool weather and watched them from there. It took them an hour to get together and form the procession again. Then they started along, but we could see by the glasses that they wasn't paying much attention to anything but us. We poked along, looking down at them with the glasses, and by and by we see a big sand mound and something like people the other side of it and there was something like a man laying on top of the mound that raised his head up every now and then and seemed to be watching the caravan or us, we didn't know which. As the caravan got nearer, he sneaked down on the other side and rushed to the other men and horses, for that is what they was, and we see them mount in a hurry, and next here they come like a house afire, some with lances and some with long guns, and all of them yelling the best they could. They come a-tearing down onto the caravan, and the next minute both sides crashed together and was all mixed up, and there was such another popping of guns as you never heard, and the air got so full of smoke you could only catch glimpses of them struggling together. There must have been six hundred men in that battle, and it was terrible to see. Then they broke up into gangs and groups, fighting tooth and nail, and scurrying and scampering around and laying into each other like everything and whenever the smoke cleared a little you could see dead and wounded people and camels scattered far and wide and all about, and camels racing off in every direction. At last the robbers see they couldn't win, so their chief sounded the signal, and all that was left of them broke away and went scampering across the plain. 
The last man to go snatched up a child and carried it off in front of him on his horse, and a woman run screaming and begging after him, and followed him away off across the plain till she was separated a long ways from her people. But it weren't no use, and she had to give it up, and we see her sink down on the sand and cover her face with her hands. Then Tom took the helm and started for that yahoo, and we come a-whizzin' down and made a swoop and knocked him out of the saddle, child and all. And he was jarred considerable, but the child wasn't hurt, but laid there working its hands and legs in the air like a tumble-bug that's on its back and can't turn over. The man went staggering off to overtake his horse and didn't know what had hit him, for we was three or four hundred yards up in the air by this time. We judged the woman would go and get the child now but she didn't. We could see her, through the glass, still settin' there with her head bowed down on her knees, so of course she hadn't seen the performance, and thought her child was clean gone with a man. She was nearly half a mile from her people, so we thought we might go down to the child, which was about a quarter of a mile beyond her, and snake it to her before the caravan people could get to us to do us any harm. And besides, we reckoned they had enough business on their hands for one while, anyway, with the wounded. We thought we'd chance it, and we did. We swooped down and stopped, and Jim shinned down the ladder and fetched up the kid, which was a nice fat little thing, and in a noble good humor, too, considering it was just out of a battle and been tumbled off of a horse. And then we started for the mother, and stopped back of her and tolerable nearby, and Jim slipped down and crept up easy, and when he was close back of her the child goo-gooed the way a child does, and she heard it and whirled and fetched a shriek of joy, and made a jump for the kid, and snatched it, and hugged it, and dropped it, and hugged Jim, and then snatched off a gold chain, and hung it around Jim's neck, and hugged him again, and jerked up the child again, a sobbing and glorifying all the time, and Jim he shoved for the ladder, and up it, and in a minute we was back up in the sky, and the woman was staring up with the back of her head between her shoulders, and the child with its arms locked around her neck and there she stood, as long as we was in sight of sailing away in the sky. End of chapter 6